Well, good morning again, Calvary Bible Church. Great fellowship, as always, and want to encourage you after this morning's service to find one of our fellowship groups if you don't already have a, a group that you attend and continue the great fellowship. Looking around, we have some, got some visitors today, which is great. Saw some old friends that we just hadn't seen in a bit who had been joining us on live stream, and it's a, it's a blessed morning. I also realized it's really tough to sing in worship when you're sitting behind baby Naomi and she's staring at you and all you want to do is make, you know, googly faces and stuff. And, and, uh, but then we're singing these songs, you know, about awesome is your beauty and you're looking at God's awesome beauty right there in front of you in the face of that little baby. So it just actually made worship just all the more blessed. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, how awesome is your beauty. How magnificent you are. Your glorious splendor, Lord, should be overwhelming to us. You are a great God. You are the only God. You are the one true living God, maker and creator of of all things. And yes, Father, we worship you. We worship you, I pray, in spirit and truth this morning. We worship you in the music and the singing. We worship you in our times of prayer. We worship you in the preaching and teaching of your word. We worship you, I I pray, even with our announcements, Lord, of the good and glorious things that you are allowing and causing to take place here at Calvary Bible Church. And Lord, we are in awe when we look into the face of one of your miraculous creations. Father, I pray for just the time in your word right now that it indeed will be profitable for us, that you will teach us much, that you will convict us wholeheartedly of your truth, And that, Lord, we will seek to put that truth into practice. Beginning with yours truly, Father. We pray all of this in your Son, Jesus' name. Oh, Lord, I would be remiss if we didn't just continue to pray for the people of Ukraine and our brothers and sisters there. The church, your church that that is there. We pray for help. We pray for care. We pray for wisdom. We pray for protection. We pray for provision. And that, Lord, you will will bring this all to a, a good and positive end for Ukraine. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning is kind of a neat morning because we get to finish this book of 1 Thessalonians. Yay! And then we will, we will take a few weeks here to just glory in Easter, beginning with uh, an Easter-oriented message next week, and then, of course, on Palm Sunday, and then, of course, Easter Sunday. Uh, and then we will, Lord willing, if he hasn't returned, we will jump into Second Thessalonians. Now, there's, there's uh, many ways that people sometimes sign off from letters, and you probably have your kind of signature that you like to say. And of course, Christians, we love it. We might say in Christ or for His glory or or for His kingdom, things like that. And there's there's of course many different ways that that um, we see letters out there, even in the literary world, and how they get signed off. And so I did a little a little search here just to find some interesting ways that that in in some of our literary works that that people have signed off from letters. For instance, there's one that says your most humble servant and most faithful friend. That would be from Dostoevsky's Poor Folk. We have adieu, take care of yourself, and I entreat you, write. That would be from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. With best love and etc. Jane Austen's Lady Susan. Your ever loving Bram Stoker's Dracula. This was a simple one by playwright Anton Chekhov in his book A Life in Letters where he just signs 
me. But probably my favorite of the bunch is this one. May your doom be other than mine and your treasure remain with you to the end. You know that one? But the young people do. The Return of the King, part three in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And today you will hear a final salutation in probably the most famous of all, not probably, it just is the most famous of all literary works, the Bible. And in this case, it will be Paul's salutation at the end of his first letter to the church at Thessalonica. Why don't you go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll look at verses 25 to 28. And if you'll go ahead and please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Paul says this again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 25 to 28. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. These are the words of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, last week brought us a benediction or blessing from Paul that was made up of three promises of God for your encouragement that indeed your Christian graduation day will come. The three promises being that God will sanctify you entirely, that you will be completely glorified, and that this will all be done by His power and authority as the faithful one who has called you and therefore will bring these things to pass. And this morning we will conclude Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica with a final request for prayer. He gives them a greeting. There is an expectation followed by a blessing. And I'll just tell you up front that most of our time is going to be spent Just um, with verse 25, brethren, pray for us. I I wish I had had even done more with uh, verse 17 when we had pray without ceasing. Then I looked down and I was like, ooh, I get another opportunity. We're going to talk more about prayer here from verse 25. Brethren, pray for us. And so this is kind of our, our number one point in our outline, and that's Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer. And the most obvious question would be, well, what does Paul want? prayer for he asks of the brethren those that make up the thessalonian church to pray for us referring to he sylvanus and timothy and we can make an educated guess as to what he was thinking of based on just other requests of paul from some of his other letters such as second thessalonians chapter two excuse me chapter three verse one where we will hear him say, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. In other words, he's praying for opportunities to share and spread the gospel and for people to be saved by it, thus bringing glory to God. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, he tells the Colossian church something similar. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer. As I mentioned, we had pray without ceasing, right? Back in 1 Thess 5.17. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Totally appropriate that we would have Steve up here talking about evangelism with these kinds of prayers of Paul. And again, Paul's request for prayer was all about the gospel. It's all about the good news and that God would indeed open a door that Paul would then faithfully share Christ and do so in a clear way. And the truth is, folks, Paul's New Testament prayers are undoubtedly more about the gospel, the good news of Christ, than than anything else, than any other topic. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 18. We're going to camp out here for kind of this 
chunk of time that we're going to spend with prayer. Granted, there's a lot of places we could go to talk further about prayer. But I just thought, I thought that this is that classic armor of God section where Paul gives the blueprint for how a believer is to engage in spiritual warfare against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness that we read about in Ephesians 6 and verse 12. And let me just say that it's, it's really more of a defensive posture that Paul gives us in this, this armor of God section, more so than an offensive one. And in doing so, he presents to the church the various pieces of armor that you and I have at our disposal to defend ourselves against spiritual attacks, spiritual attacks from the enemy. And in this section, we understand that we have a belt of truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have shoes of the gospel of peace. We have a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, and a sword of the Spirit. I'll never forget being in a, in a, at the Master Seminary and just brand new of first, I think, week of class or whatever, and I had a, a meeting in the administration thing in my room, and I had left my Bible sitting there, and as I'm leaving, uh, my friend Ray said, uh, don't forget your sword. I was like, sword? And he holds up Bible. I was like, ah, yes, I have much to learn here. Yes, much to learn. Then, at the end of this armor section, we have what I call Paul's not-so-secret weapon. Prayer. And I, I chose to use this passage in this, from this Armor of God section this morning because I think it best illustrates just the kind of prayer that you and I need to be focused on pertaining to the gospel going out and certainly in our day and age in which we live. Friends, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, but there are some serious spiritual battles brewing outside those doors And you need to be prepared. You and I need to be armed and ready. We need to arm ourselves with prayer. And with that, we need to be praying in the most appropriate and the most effective ways, especially since Satan and his demons are on the prowl seeking you and I to devour. There are some out there that believe that we actually are to take it upon ourselves to confront Satan and his demons during prayer or with prayer. They call this warfare praying. Let me just give you a couple of examples. John Wimber and Kevin Springer in their book, Power Healing, write, quote, In a prayer of rebuke, we break demons' hold on a person, contain their power, and eliminate their presence. I usually say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, evil spirit. You have no part in so-and-so's life, end quote. Here's another example offered in Mark Bubeck's The Adversary, quote, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I resist all of Satan's activity to hold so-and-so, put their name in there, in blindness and darkness, exercising my authority which is given to me in my union with the Lord Jesus Christ. I pull down the strongholds which the kingdom of darkness has formed against so-and-so. I smash and break and destroy all those plans formed against so-and-so. His mind, his will, his emotions, and his body. I destroy in prayer the spiritual blindness and deafness that Satan keeps upon him. End quote. There's a problem with these prayers. The problem is this. They're not biblical. We don't find prayers like this in the Bible. The truth is, we learn from Scripture that we are not to rebuke Satan or his demons, as not even the archangel Michael, who we might say would be the chief or could be the chief of all angels, was willing to do. He would not do that according to Jude 9. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, what? The Lord rebuke you. That is for the Lord to do. 
We don't pray to Satan. We do not pray to demons. We pray to the Lord God in heaven. Amen? Good. Now, if this was something that we were supposed to do, boy, you'd think that Paul would have mentioned that, wouldn't you? Especially in this section on prayer, immediately following the other pieces of armor. But instead, he shows us how we are to be a people of prayer while wearing the armor of God in order that we could stand firm and resist the devil. In verse 18 alone, you will see five characteristics of prayer followed by an example in verses 19 to 20 that you need to apply during wartime. Follow along as I read these three verses. This is Ephesians 6, verses 18 to 20. Paul writes, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. First, in this section, friends, I want you to see that there are different kinds and different ways of prayer. Different kinds and different ways of prayer. Back in verse 18, he says, with, or we could say, through all prayer and petition. Now, this tells us that prayer is connected with the main exhortation back in verse 14 to stand firm. And here, prayer and and pray in the Greek are general words for prayer to the eternal God of heaven. And as we said back in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it's our way to communicate with God. Whether silently or out loud or or in a group or by oneself. Whether you're on a a mountaintop or, or down in a valley. Whether you're on your knees or while you're washing dishes or in the car, or walking a favorite trail when things are good and when things are not so good. In Scripture, we see that prayer is identified as beseeching the Lord in Exodus, pouring out the soul before the Lord in 1 Samuel, praying and crying to heaven in 2 Corinthians, seeking unto God and making supplication in Job, drawing near to God in Psalm 73. Bowing the knees in Ephesians 3. Friends, sincere prayer demonstrates a belief in the personality of God. A belief in His ability and His his willingness to have a relationship with us. And a belief in His personal control of of all creatures and of all things. And, And mind you, God communicates to us through His Word, and the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us. This word petition in our text means to humbly and earnestly plead and beg in your supplications to God, making your request of God. And here we want to remember to pray not just in a general way, but for specifics. You want an example of this or a lesson in this? Then listen to children pray. Listen to your kids pray. Sometimes, you know, they pray very generalized prayers. So, dear God, please help all of the people of all the world. Right? But sometimes they pray very specifically. Like if it's getting close to birthday time, I might expect to hear, Dear God, for my birthday, please send me a PS5, Roblox Obby Creator, and Roblox gift cards of varying denominations. Thank you, Lord. Even for adults. When there's something we really, really want or we really need, we start to get a little more specific, don't we? And it's absolutely right to ask God for his will to be done, but we shouldn't let specifics scare us off. We need to pray specifically. Look at some of the specific prayers. Just We see small sampling here in Scripture. 1 Samuel twelve sixteen, David inquired or petitioned God for the life of his son. In Jonah, Jonah, of course, prayed very specifically for God's deliverance when he was 
drowning in the sea. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. He prayed for three and a half months to get an audience with the king in order to ask him if he could leave and go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. And then, of course, he's on his way to have an audience with the king. And he prays very quickly in his mind that he would have favor with the king. Luke chapter 1, verse 13, Zacharias and Elizabeth very specifically prayed for children. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 8, Paul prayed three times that the thorn in his flesh would leave him. Now, we also pray to show our trust and dependence on God. It's easy to forget about God while we are glorying in our own kind of self-sufficiency, right? Especially in the midst of some kind of success going on in our lives. But maybe when you win a battle against the spiritual forces of darkness, friends, maybe that would be a good time to make sure we stop and give thanks and glory to God. Yes? (laughs) There was a, a... I was trying to come up with a more updated uh, uh, deal, but this just kind of, things pop into my mind, right? Uh, And uh, there was a movie, Ratatouille, in our family. I remember watched that. And the main character, Linguini, you know, he starts to forget about where his true success came from uh, as he's glorying in himself. And it came from where? Remy the rat, right? But he forgot. Let us not forget where our success comes from. It comes from the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Secondly, we want to consider the timing of prayer. We see this quite clearly in our text, the next part of verse 18, where Paul says, pray at all times. Now, guess what the Greek phrase here is uh, for for this? Pray at all times. That's that's the, the, the Greek there. In every occasion or with every opportunity, because spiritual warfare, friends, is a never-ending battle this side of heaven. It is a never-ending battle until Christ returns. That's why we had pray without ceasing. In Psalm 55 and verse 17, where the psalmist says, evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur and he will hear my voice. And Luke 6, 12, it was at this time that he, Jesus, went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. There's a Stephen Curtis Chapman song, I know I'm dating myself now, that just rightfully says, let us pray, let us pray everywhere and every way, every moment of the day, it is the right time. You might say that this is about maybe having a God consciousness, living life daily, all day, in the presence of God. Okay, so how about this? How about we all take a few moments in the morning just to make sure when we get up that we have a kind of God consciousness from the moment you open your eyes and then you go ahead and you make your coffee or your tea and you have some human consciousness. Uh, Then maybe we have a little more God consciousness as we as we devote ourselves some time to the word and to prayer. And then you might consider training yourself to have God consciousness throughout the day. And when you do think of him. Make it a point to pray, to talk to him, even if it's only for a sentence or two or 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 out loud or silent, brief like Nehemiah's prayer, or maybe take a lunchtime and just go be by yourself and pray. And then, of course, at the end of the day, maybe we can train ourselves for just one last moment of God consciousness before we go unconscious. Right. In the case of spiritual battles. Friends, we want to be in the habit of prayer. We want to be training in prayer, training ourselves for prayer so that when Satan attacks, we're ready for him. We're ready for him. This last week, my family and I, Julian, Owen and Gianna, we had the opportunity to go up to uh, the North State from Monday through Fridays. My parents live up in this beautiful area called uh, Hat Creek. It's a suburb of Bernie, which is outside of Reading at the base of Mount Lassen. And we're helping them to move because they are 
leaving that place and are moving down to Sacramento. Uh, as we're going through and helping them pack, we're in my dad's garage. And of course, uh, well, I've, I get my garage from my dad's garage. It's not a pretty sight. It's just, you know, jam-packed with stuff. And uh, if uh, you were some of those that helped us move into our house when we moved down here, yeah, nothing's changed, okay? So in any case, I find these old trophies of his. My dad was a CHP officer, and he had all these shooting trophies because he was an expert marksman. And, uh, and, and it took training, constant training, to get to be the marksman that he was. And then 30 years into his 33-year career, then uh, his life was on the line. And he and his partner, because of their training, were able to take down the bad guy. And, uh, and, and they survived. But he could have only have done this because of his training. He didn't know when the enemy might attack. So he always had to be ready. And friends, you and I, we need to always, always be ready. We need to be praying at all times because the attacks can come at any moment. You and I need to be training ourselves with prayer and in prayer. John MacArthur writes, a lack of prayer will make you prone to faint, grow weary, or abandon the fight when the battle gets hot and heavy, end quote. Okay, so far we've talked about some different kinds and ways of prayer. We talked about the timing of prayer. Now we get to the next part of verse 18, the power source of prayer, the power source of prayer. In verse 18, he says, pray with all prayer and petition, excuse me, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. Now we saw this in Jude 20 verses, uh, excuse me, Jude 20 and 21, but you beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So what does this mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Well, it first necessitates that you are a true believer, that you are somebody that has even the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. If you're not already a Christian, then I would suggest that now might be the time of your salvation. Now might be a good time to repent and put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross to bring you salvation, that he died the death you should have died, that he went to the cross on your behalf, that he died in your place to bring forgiveness of sins. And then, of course, he goes into the grave. But as we will be celebrating over the next several weeks, three days later, he resurrects. He rises from the dead. He's the only person to ever do that. Rise from the dead. In the history of the world, so that you could not only have forgiveness of sins, but you know that you have eternal life with him, completely forgiven. You will spend all eternity with him in his heavenly realm. You, friends, need to repent and believe. Now, praying in the Holy Spirit means that you rely on God and his strength, his might, not your own. It means your prayers are prompted, guided, energized by the Holy Spirit. Back in Ephesians 3, 14, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom the Spirit, from whom, excuse me, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirits, through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I apologize for my making that plural. My I just wasn't seeing it right. You might say, friends, that prayer in and through the Holy Spirit is the means by which God infuses your spiritual armor with divine power and energy. I don't know if any of you have ever grabbed onto an electrified fence. I have. 
Yes, um, we would be out fishing and you would get to a fence. And one day I was, this is in Minnesota, I'll never forget. We're fishing this stream and, and I, you know, fences are usually there uh, if it's trespassing or whatever. Now we don't go through it, but it's oftentimes there for cattle and, and, and livestock and whatnot. And I get to this fence and I thought, that's strange. Normally I'm used to barbs, barbed wire. There's no barbs on this fence. Yeah, easy. And it's amazing. You think you'd be able to let go right now. It's like, well, it feels like five seconds, but it's probably about a half a second. But you kind of have that where you can't let go and then you let go and and it zaps you. It's no fun. Believe me. If the electrical current is turned off, though, it has no zapping power. But when the power is on, it's like, look out, cows, look out, humans, because now that wire is infused with electricity. It is on. It is ready to do its job. Likewise with the believer's prayer life, friends. And since the scripture tells us that we are to pray at all times in the spirit, then we might ask, well, does that mean that we can also be praying while not in the spirit? What do the scriptures say? Ephesians 6 Excuse me, 518. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We're told to be filled with the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 16 to 18, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. That's an admonition to us to walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Ah, cool. Okay. So we know from scripture that every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit lives and abides in you. But does that mean that we are at all times walking in the spirit, being filled with the spirit, speaking in the spirit, displaying the fruit of the spirit, praying in the spirit? No, no. It's like the side A, side B of a record. I sometimes use a coin. I'm going to a record this time. Side A. Side A of the vinyl is that understanding that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us, is sanctifying us. That is what God does to us through his spirit. But side B calls us to live out our faith proactively in obedience. The spirit saves and sanctifies apart from any work we do. But at the same time, we are called to be filled with walk by, led by, speak by, and to pray in the Spirit. This is what God calls you to do. Yet, what would prevent us from doing that? Well, just think about that for a minute. What would keep you from being filled with, walking by, being led by, speaking by, and praying in the Spirit? Simple answer. 1 John 1, 8-10 tells us it's our sin. Plain and simple, it's our Sin that prevents us from praying in the Spirit. So in order to pray in the Spirit, what would really need to happen first? You would need to repent. You would need to repent, confess your sins before the Lord. Otherwise, as we read in Isaiah 59 two, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Friends, the only thing that God wants to hear from you or I when we are harboring unconfessed sin is a prayer of repentance. That's the first thing he wants to hear from you or I. Then and only then can then we pray in the spirit and be empowered and energized and strengthened by him so that you can stand and resist the enemy. This brings us to our, our fourth aspect of prayer. The middle of verse 18. It's the manner of prayer. 
the manner of prayer. Paul continues, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. So that phrase, with this in view, or in other words, to this end or for this purpose, it refers back to the necessity of prayer while engaged in battle in order to be on the alert. To stand watch, to stand guard, to look out for any possible threats. Prayer and alertness go hand in hand. Commentator Harold Honer writes, quote, Prayer causes alertness, and alertness keeps believers in prayer. If they are not alert, they do not see the dangers and thus see no need to pray, end quote. We read in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, where Peter reminds us of what those dangers are. He says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is good at prowling around this way. He's good at coming after us. He's good at, at stalking us. He's, he's, he's good at tempting us when we don't even realize maybe we're being tempted. I've got to give you another fishing illustration. Sorry, but that's where I was this week. I got to go up and, like I said, with my folks and my dad and I hit some of our, our favorite streams one last time together. And there's this one. It's a part of Hat Creek. It's across the road from their house. And it's, and it's almost like glass. And it's crystal clear. And, and, and when you're fishing for the trout in there, they're, they're, they're very, usually pretty alert. So I've got to be stealthy. And I've got to gum up behind them. And I've got to be down in the grass on my knees with my fly rod. Only make a couple of false casts. Not over the water where they can see the line. And I have to land that fly just perfectly. So the fly just dabbles the surface. No line on the, on the water or anything like that to spook or scare the fish. And bam. That's what Satan does to us. He stalks us. And he stalks us well. He knows what he's doing. He prowls around seeking to devour us. We have to stay on high alert. That trout, well, I was going to say that trout was, no, no, they, they bested me pretty much this time. I think I got one, you know. But uh, yeah, they, they were on high alert. But we need to be on high alert. We need to be on high alert. Then Paul says, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. In other words, you are to devote yourselves to. You are to persist in. You are to display intense effort towards praying and keeping alert for any signs of danger, signs of the enemy, signs of temptation. And again, making those very specific requests to God for his help. Now, unfortunately, we have a good example of what not to do also in scripture when Peter, James, and John were asked by Jesus to accompany him over to the garden of Gethsemane to keep watch with him, which means to stay alert and to pray with him. And of course, in Matthew 26, 40 and 41, we read, and he, Jesus, came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our son Austin serves as uh, MP in the Navy at a uh, Navy base. And guess what his job is? He guards the base. He has to do so effectively and in order to do that effectively he must stay on alert high alert and persevere to keep um, tabs on any anything that might happen by way of an enemy infiltration we have to stay alert we have to stay persevering in our prayer life so that we can indeed not be tempted or allow any opening for the enemy. Okay, so far we've considered different kinds and ways of prayer, the timing of prayer, the power source of prayer, the manner of prayer, and now lastly in this list, in verse 18, we have the recipients of prayer, the recipients of prayer. Paul says, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for 
all the saints. Now, yes, you should certainly be praying for yourself, friends. But also, we need to be praying for each other. You need to be praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ because we're all in this together, right? We need to watch out for one another. And we need to help one another. And we need to come alongside one another. And certainly we need to pray for each other. We need to pray that God would sustain and encourage and provide for and protect and cause your brothers and sisters in Christ to stand firm. And we need to pray then, of course, that the gospel will go forth. There's safety in numbers. The the saying is true, right? Back in the day, they would do wagon trains versus lone riders when they were, you know, coming across the United States and homesteading places and whatnot, because there's safety in those numbers. And of course, at night, They'd circle up, they'd circle up again so they can help protect one another, look out for each other. And I know that all of our prayer lives here at Calvary Bible Church have, I believe, really been stepped up and increased for your leadership here at Calvary. This has occurred over this whole last year and certainly for us as a church body these last number of months And Satan would love nothing more than to see this church strategically placed here in Burbank and in the entertainment capital of the world to to somehow collapse or to somehow implode on itself. Satan would love this. But friends, I am here to tell you, well, my belief, my belief is that God is is obviously not done with Calvary Bible Church. And I'll just add, not by a long shot. I believe there's so much more that he plans to do here in this body, through this body, to have a continued and profound effect on, well, certainly the people that come here, but also on our community at large. And praise him for that. But can I just say this, that when when things are tough, of course, it's natural for us to turn to God, Ah, cry out to God, Lord, help us. Ah, This hurts. This is painful. This is difficult. Ah, this, This really stinks. Help, God, help, please. But it's not so natural to do maybe when things are good. You know, it's been interesting because even our Wednesday night prayer meetings, I think, have seen a swelling over these past months. But can we just make a commitment to God and each other to not let up on our prayers, on praying for this local body, even when things might be good? Let us continue to pray without ceasing for Calvary Bible Church. And lastly, in our Ephesian excursus on prayer here, we have Paul's example. Paul's example. This is actually going to go just kind of quick here because we're looking at verses 19 and 20 as this example of the things that we have just learned. And, and, and in these two verses, this is straight from the apostle asking for prayer for himself and as he does in our First Thessalonians text. So, so first, just let me tell you, or let us consider what Paul doesn't pray for. We, we might already imagine what we read, what he prays for, but here's what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray to get out of prison, which he is in. Roman prison. He, he doesn't pray for any help while in prison in this case, or for better food or, or, or more privileges. He doesn't pray for any kind of physical healing. He doesn't pray for the thorn in his flesh to be removed anymore. He doesn't pray for any need of his, and he doesn't pray for any creature comfort. So what does he pray for? Look at verse 19. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 
The man's in a Roman prison. There's no pity party here with Paul. Rather, his his prayer requests are for his speech. And to say the right words as he speaks forth the gospel. And twice he asks for boldness in sharing Christ with others. And friends, this is what we need to concern ourselves with praying in this kind of a, a, a way. Pray for gospel opportunities. Pray that God would help each of us with our speech and the opening of our mouths. We need to pray for that boldness where the gospel is concerned. Come on out to the evangelism night. It'll cure you of all of this, okay? It absolutely will. <clears throat> if you have any needs here and, or lack of boldness or speaking forth or sharing Christ, yeah, well that, that'll, that'll cure it. Lickety split. We need to pray that we would be an ambassador for Christ like Paul. We need to be authentically living out our faith as Paul did, even while Satan and his demons and the world seek to bring us down. We need to pray as Paul did and and ask for these kinds of prayers. Now, we need to return to our 1 Thessalonians text and just finish this letter off and these points will go fairly quickly back to first Thess, chapter five where we see our our second point that paul makes here or as he closes his letter he says greet all the brethren with a holy kiss now all right before anyone gets grossed out here know know that this this part is cultural okay we're not going to institute, you know, um, kissing here at Calvary Bible Church or anything like that. But it was the norm. It was the norm back then. Kiss on the cheek, right? Kiss on the cheek. For some, I don't know back then if it was the single kiss. Of course, there's the European kind of double kiss. In Hollywood, it's the air kiss, you know, that kind of thing, right? And Paul has said something to this effect. Several of the places, such as Romans and First and Second Corinthians, First Peter, where he talks about this holy kiss. But the fact that it's a holy kiss means that it is done as as one brother or sister to another, one brother or sister in Christ to another, because it shows then that familial closeness for those that are a part of the family of God. And in this case, it is Paul passing along his salutations to those in the church at Thessalonica. And then we'll see in verse 27 and beyond. Now, for us, I pray that we we love to see one another. We love to greet one another. I love to see you guys come in in the morning. It's a blessing to my own heart and soul to see people walking into church and and especially you know, when, when they're just, you know, that they're happy to be there. We can, we can offer one another a, a smiling face, a kind word, a, a hearty handshake, maybe a clap on the shoulder, or even an affectionate, friendly embrace. And we do so in a holy sense because we are brothers and sisters. We are children of the Most High God. Our foundation of fellowship is the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us greet one another in that sense. Thirdly, we see in verse 27, Paul's expectation. Paul's expectation when he says, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. And that Greek word there for adjure just means to put under an oath. He's putting them under an oath to have this letter read, which means this is important. I, Paul, am charging you, the church leadership, that this needs to be done. The text of this letter should be read out loud to all of those that make up the whole church at Thessalonica. Now, see here, friends, it could be true as well that the church didn't have just one gathering place, that maybe they had multiple gathering places um, or meeting places, possibly due to persecution. And Paul wanted to make sure that the entire church would hear this letter. Then there could be no misunderstanding. 
There couldn't be any sort of, you know, sinfulness going on or leaders not sharing parts of it or adding, subtracting or changing anything because all would hear the same thing. And Paul, then as one of God's authors, has written God's word in the form of this letter. And that being said, of course, then the word of God is good for everyone. It should be read publicly and from house to house. Then we see, lastly, in verse 28, Paul's blessing. Paul's blessing. He closes out his letter. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Instead of a, instead of a simple farewell, Paul closes with a, a benediction. Almost identical to how he closed his letter to the Romans and the, the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians. And in so doing, he even keeps with sound theology, commending to his readers grace. God's unearned, unwarranted, unmerited favor upon them. And the one who is able to provide it, the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, as we come to the close of this letter, let us make sure we are praying appropriately, effectively. And friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. It is without error. It is all sufficient. It is everything we need for life and godliness, for our faith and the practicing of that faith. Lord, I just would pray right now that you would help us to pray in those ways that will bring the most glory to you and certainly seeking the most benefit for us in order that we would stand firm against really quite a perverse generation. Not that past generations haven't also been perverse, Lord, but each one finds themselves in in extremely difficult times. And Lord, I pray certainly uh, that we would be bold and speak forth the gospel. And if there are any here this morning that need to repent and put their trust in Jesus, they would do so even right now. Just praying to you, Father, a prayer of seeking your forgiveness and a trusting in Jesus as the forgiver of those sins and the guarantor of eternal life. We pray this all in your son, Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.